Welcome into another bonus episode of Boys Don't Lie, the podcast. I am your host with the most, Owen Burke. Man, I'm excited. Uh, I couldn't tell you, man. We're getting closer and closer to season two. Um, If you didn't get a chance to listen to any of our season two update stuff, or if you didn't get a chance to listen all the way through our top ten corner or top ten safeties that uh, me and Samari did, um, we talked about season two a little bit. Things to come here in the near future. Um, Season two officially has its start date. Season two will begin on September tenth. Season two of Boys Don't Lie, the podcast will commence on September 10th. It is a Friday noon, like usual. We're back, better than ever. New format, new things to talk about, and some some bonus shows as well. Obviously, we do our bonus episodes every once in a while here and there. But with Season 2 starting, all of us will be getting our own singularly singularly branded shows. Um, Samari will have The Mansion. Um, where he will do special guest interviews and talk about, you know, mental health and and some some a lot of real life topics along the way. Uh, Shay's obviously your one stop shop for music along the way. All of our album reviews will be done on his show called One of One, um, and also my show, The Owen Show, which was originally my show uh, at the beginning of COVID, the beginning of quarantine. What started the whole podcasting thing for me? The Owen Show's back, new logo. Possibly a co-host, uh, still in contract negotiations, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, that'll be coming out every Wednesday, so we'll be able to preview every week of the NFL, talk about fantasy football maybe, talk about the the upcoming week in the NFL, coming, you know, obviously the week that just happened, t- you know, talking about Monday Night Football, previewing Thursday Night Football, so a lot of stuff. Uh, so like I said, BDO will continue as scheduled on Fridays per usual, the thing you guys have been used to. We're just going to have three other weekly shows that are going to come out. So um, if you like listening to sports or you only like listening to music, you know, you kind of skip through BDL to kind of listen to certain parts of here and there, you're going to have your, your singular shows. And then BDL itself is going to be a whole new beast on Fridays. So you're definitely going to want to listen to a couple of episodes. It's going to be a lot different than it was in season one. Um, obviously a lot of the same things, but a lot of different things as well. So that is your season two update as far as it goes with us. Uh, I want to thank you guys for listening again. Show does not happen uh, without you guys listening week in, week out. Bonus in, bonus out. Uh, I don't know what I would do without all my buddies that listen to the show, all the people that listen to the show that hit me up. And any any criticism you guys give, man, I will try to put to good use in the long run. Um, you know, like I said, I'm never going to take everything that someone says and put it exactly in word for word what they said, but there's no such thing as a bad suggestion because if you know, sometimes you give me something like, wow, that's a really good idea. I'm going to plug that directly into the show. Like that's perfect. Or you could give me an idea and I'm like, that's a really good idea, but I'm going to tweak it. And it kind of sparks an idea of my own. So like anything that you guys want to listen to or things you think may improve the show or, or things, you know, that I'm doing wrong or anything that you want to hear, man, let me know. I will always, always have an open ear to criticism. Um, even if you're not friendly about it, you know, you may not get as good of a response back from myself at that point if you're not friendly about it, but we do what we can. So, um, so thank you to, to the listeners at home. And also thank you to anchor. Obviously, um, none of this is possible without anchor. I mean, week in, week out, I kind of sit down and think about where we were, uh, February, you know, I brought the idea. I'd done the Owen show a couple times at that point. Uh, I just moved to Manhattan. I talked to Shay about, possibly doing a show him and Samaria talked about doing boys don't lie for a while and i said i've already got a mic you guys have got the the picture the vision i have the equipment me and shay have chemistry on the radio obviously shay and sam have chemistry from being related being brothers so you know shay you know that was that was a it was like a midnight on like a tuesday wednesday night shay went on anchor the next day that night up until five or six a.m you know, looking on anchor and everything, trying to figure out where to go. And then the next night at like one or 2 AM pilot one recorded next day. It's out pilot two is recorded that night. It's out the next day. And here we are. Would it be February to, to September now? So seven months later, 20 episodes of BDL. I mean, who knows how many bonuses we've put out since then. And all of it is thanks to anchor the one-stop shop for podcasting, man. You can set it up all on your phone. You can record episodes on your phone. Um, you you can manage the entire thing. No need for a laptop. You do it right from your phone. Voice memos, the whole nine. You can do it all in one place. 
and you don't need minimum listenership to make money off your podcast. You can earn ads and everything without any minimum listenership. So if you guys are thinking about getting into the podcasting game, feel free to hit me up, man. I'll give you some tips. I'll try to try to give you guys some pointers along the way. Um, I'm never going to shun anybody out. You know, I'll try to help out as much as I can. Uh, so, and obviously, like I said, that's my number one tip right there. I'll give you that one for free. Go to anchor, do it that way. It's the easiest way to do it. Your one stop shop for podcasts, man. So before we get into the show, we do have a couple fan questions, but before we get to the fan questions today, I need y'all to make sure you get ready to get real. Uh, Kevin Hart is hosting a new podcast original or a new Peacock original series, Heart to Heart, featuring authentic conversations with a celebrity guest. Each week, Kevin Hart will sit down with a well-known figure from entertainment and hold a deep and meaningful conversation. Now, like I know y'all seen this already. Like I, you know, we got the ad for this one, and I was like, oh, I already know this. I've watched this a couple times. I know everybody's seen the clip of him and Don Cheadle talking about Mount Fifty Six. Damn, everybody's seen that clip. That is, you know. Y'all, y'all have seen it before, so I need y'all to make sure y'all hop over to Peacock and give this show a listen, man, because the stuff that they cover on this show is crazy. Uh, the best way I can explain what to expect when it comes to Heart to Heart is to expect the unexpected. Uh, Kevin and his guests will unpack heavy emotion and share moments of success, failure, and everything in between. So make sure y'all kick up your feet and get to know your favorite celebrities. The new Peacock original series, Heart to Heart, is streaming now. Go to PeacockTV.com and get started today. Download the app, text your mom, get the username, get the password. We know y'all got student accounts everywhere. Get on there, watch some Heart to Heart, man. I'm telling you what, man. Kevin Hart is, I mean, has been in his prime for a very long time. He went quiet there for a little bit, you know, had to deal with some family issues. He's back, man. Kevin Hart is at the top of the game again. And, and doing things like he was doing back in 2012, 2013. We are seeing it's a different platform. It's a little bit of a different different style, obviously. But that's how that's what you got to do to stay at the top of the game, man. You got to reinvent yourself. That's what Kevin Hart's doing. That's what we're trying to do for Season 2. And that's what I'm trying to do today for our Top 10 Edge Rushers. Before we get to the list, two fan questions today. I got... Um, man, there's a third thing I kind of wanted to talk about. I don't know if I want to save for season two. You know what we're going to talk about this today? I'm going to try to keep this short and quick, hopefully, because um, I did have somebody else ask me about it. I just now remembered it as I'm looking at my fan questions. Um, so we'll run through the two fan questions I got. I'll run through the one thing. We'll get to our top ten list. So if you're here for the top ten list, trust me, we're going to get there. But we got some we got some fun things to talk about first. So I was asked, I believe it was this morning, what do I think the biggest surprise of the NFL season is going to be? Now, this is a very, very interesting question because there's obviously, I mean, it's the NFL season, anything happened. Uh, there are no guarantees in sports. There's no guarantees in football. Uh, nothing is 100%. So surprises happen a lot, especially this year. You know, you look at all the rookies that are getting jobs right out the gate, uh, not only for the quarterback position, but there's other spots on the field. Najee Harris is looked at as a top 10 fantasy running back already. He hasn't even played it down yet of NFL regular season football. So there's a lot of things that could pop this year, to be real with you. Uh, obviously, I, I think there's when – I, when I think of biggest surprises, I think there's going to be two teams that are really going to shock a lot of people. One of them I feel a lot more confident about the other, but I still I feel very confident about the other one. It's just it's a little bit more out there, if that makes sense. So the first one, the safe one, I think the Washington football team. Honestly, I think the football team wins the NFC East this year. I love – okay, I won't say I love the Cowboys. I like I love Dak Prescott. I like Amari Cooper. I love CeeDee Lamb. I love uh, Michael Gallup. But the offense I just don't think is going to get it done in the long run. Like they are going to have to be 100% healthy, and they're going to have to win every shootout they enter because their defense, I just – I don't see it. They, they added Micah Parsons, which I think was a good add. I think it's going to add him, you know, give him a little bit of edge rush help. He won't be on our list, but his teammate Demarcus Lawrence is going to be here. I think Demarcus Lawrence takes an extra step forward, not being the only sole pass rusher in that set. With Randy Gregory, obviously, as well returning, their edge rush is going to be there. But when I look at this secondary, man, this has got to be one of the worst secondaries in football, if not the worst. It is, it is porous at best. The linebacking core is great. They went and signed Keanu Neal from Atlanta. And I'm like, okay, cool. There's your safety. There's your starting strong safety. They were like, no, nah, we're going to move into the box. I'm like, dude, come on. 
that is your best safety, and you're going to move him down into a crowded 4-3 linebacker room. I have Leighton Van Der Esch, Jalen Smith, and Micah Parsons already playing linebacker, and now you're going to move Keanu Neal in the box. Makes no sense to me. Malik Hooker is there. I like, I like Malik Hooker a lot. I don't know if he's going to be healthy. There's an there's a reason he left Indy and had to go to Dallas in the first place, because he couldn't stay healthy. Uh, it seems to be a common theme in Indianapolis. We'll see if he can right the ship in Dallas. But I just don't see it, man. I look at this football team. And if, if they can get the best of Ryan Fitzpatrick, which I now granted if you look at the circle, the cycle of a Ryan Fitzpatrick career, this is usually the part of the cycle where he's really bad and he gets benched halfway through the year. Usually he has the good year, secures a contract, and then he's bad. We're on the he just secured a contract, he's gonna be bad cycle. I'm hoping he can break it. They definitely have the offense to do it. I look at Antonio Gibson. Uh, is entering top 15, top 20 running back potential, um, fantasy and otherwise. Uh, J.D. McKissick is a good back, uh, good runner out of the backfield as well. Um, I have Logan Thomas playing tight end. I have Scary Terry McLaurin, who's in that top 20 wide receiver conversation. I have the ever-so-underrated Curtis Samuel, who's reuniting with Ron Rivera, their head coach. Um, and the defense, man, absolutely disgusting. The best defensive line rotation in the league. Um, their linebackers aren't great, but they're there, and the secondary is there. They're a big hitter in Landon Collins in that secondary, and also Kendall Fuller being back there as well. Uh, they they have talent, man. Is it Kendall or Kyle? I always mix up the Fuller twins. They have one of the Fuller twins in their secondary as well. And William Jackson has blossomed into a top 15 corner as well uh, since landing there from Cincinnati. So, like, the defense is good. The defense is top five. Top 10 for sure. I'd say top five defense. You have Antonio Gibson, who's, you know, they're trying to – they said – Ron Rivera is going to try to turn him into a Christian McCaffrey type back. Uh, I definitely think he has the skill set for it. Whether he has the potential to get to that level, we'll see. And it all comes down to Fitzmagic at this point. And like I said, we are on the usual cycle where he's not good, but I am betting that he is going to turn it around. He's got one of the better offenses he's had in his career. I like the football team to win the East. Another one, this team is not going to win their division because the division is stacked and they have the defending Super Bowl champions in them. But I think the Carolina Panthers are also capable of surprises this year. Obviously, you have the best running back in the league. Christian McCaffrey is healthy again. I have Robbie Anderson, who's reunited with his quarterback in Sam Darnold. I have DJ Moore, who's extremely underrated at the wide receiver position as well. Their offensive line is consistently getting better. Taylor Moton has uh, developed himself into a top 12 left tackle in the game. I have Brian Burns in my edge rush. I have Derek Brown giving me pressure in the middle. I have Jeremy Chin in my secondary, and I just drafted J.C. Horn at 8 overall to be my superstar corner to pair with Dante Jackson going forward. The Panthers can scare people, man, and it comes down to their quarterback. It comes down to Sam Donald. I like Sam Donald. On draft day, I was a big Baker Mayfield guy. I had a lot of people telling me that Donald was the best QB in the class and that I was insane for trying to say that that Baker should go number one overall and he's the best quarterback in the class. Looking back on it, I was correct. He did go one overall. Sam Darnold has not panned out, but he played in New York. The Jets are extremely hard on rookie quarterbacks regardless, and he was paired with Adam Gase. Now, Ryan Tannehill, whether you like it or not, and granted, he is 10. Like, he's 10 on the list. He's not any higher. Ryan Tannehill is a top 10 quarterback in this league, and when he was left, when he left Miami, people were saying that he doesn't deserve a starting job anymore. So... Regardless of your thoughts on that, Adam Gase is a horrible, being in quote-unquote offensive mastermind, is a horrible offensive coach that does not, does not know how to get the best out of his quarterbacks. Now, Ron Rivera struggles finding a quarterback in his career as well outside of Cam Newton, but I believe in Sam Donald. I believe they have the weapons in Carolina. He's not in such a big spotlight being in New York City. The defense is very good as well. I see Carolina being able to upset a lot of people, and I think they may take second in that division. But if Sam Darnold does not fulfill, they will be probably – I don't know who finishes last in that division, honestly. Like, I see Carolina finishing second behind Tampa Bay, but I could also see New Orleans grabbing that second spot. I don't see Atlanta grabbing the second spot. I think Atlanta is third or fourth. New Orleans could finish second, third, or fourth, and Carolina could finish second, third, or fourth. But we all know who's coming away with that division, and it's that's the defending Super Bowl champion, uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So those are my two bigger surprises in the league. I think those guys, those two teams are, are going to be a lot better than people are giving them credit for so far. Um, the next question I got was, what are the top three sports moments I will never forget and kind of the three moments that I will tell my grandchildren about? Um that's another really good question, one that I've got to figure out sooner rather than later. Um, honestly, not really that hard to figure out for me. There's definitely two that immediately come to my mind. 
there that I will never, ever forget. The third one I had to think about for a little bit that maybe be replaced in the long run, but it's just because I didn't watch it live. The first one, the kick six in the 2013 Iron Bowl, I'll never, ever forget that that Chris Davis 109-yard field goal return to win that Iron Bowl game in 2013. Probably the best, honestly, the best broadcasting call I've ever heard. I listened to it on the radio. Um, coming back from a state title game my freshman year, I was not playing. Uh, I was on just a spectator that year. Derby won the state title game. Um, drove home. I went with my aunt and uncle because my parents didn't go. Driving back to my grandparents' house to pick up one of my cousins. We're pulling into the game. My uncle's a huge Auburn fan. He's from Alabama. Um, listen to the game. We're pulling into the driveway as the kick. And he's just, my uncle's raising hell. He's like, man, I can't believe they gave Saban the field goal. There's no way that you can, you know, get the ball off and get it snapped in time to, you know, spike it. This game should be going to overtime. They shouldn't even have a chance at a field goal. He was pissed. He was absolutely livid that they gave Saban a shot at the field goal. Um, pull into the driveway. Right as the car comes to a stop, like the kick had just fallen short. You know, the kick's not good. Davis is going to field it. You know, Davis to the 20, 30. My uncle, you know, he gets about to the 50-yard line. And the announcers at that point, it's when they start going crazy because he's got nothing but, you know, open grass in front of him. There goes Davis down the sideline. I mean, my uncle is driving. He hops out of the passenger seat. My aunt has to reach across and throw the car into park because he didn't put the car in gear. He runs inside. It's like 9, 30, 10 at night, you know, maybe 8, 39. And he's screaming at my grandfather to change the channel. He's watching golf, screams to change the channel and turn the game on. And we get to watch the replay. And I sat in the car and was able to listen to the whole thing, you know, like Davis to the 40. Oh, my God, Auburn's going to win the football game. It's by far probably like... I, you know, I want to get into sports broadcasting, and if the radio side isn't it, and I go, I do go back to play-by-play broadcasting, I hope that one point in my career I feel like I can have a call that's that good. If you if you haven't heard it, or if you haven't heard in a while, like if you haven't listened to it in the last week, go YouTube it right now. I want you to pause this, go YouTube, Kick 6 2013 Iron Ball radio call. Go listen to, oh my God, I, I get goosebumps. I literally almost tear up just listening to it. I don't even have to watch the play absolute perfection when it comes to play-by-play and color commentating that play is oh my god i'll never ever ever get over it and i'll never ever stop telling that story it's one of my favorite sports stories of all time um i think another sports moment i'll never forget probably the minnesota miracle i believe it was 2017 um the vikings over the saints on stefan diggs you know 40 50 60 yard hail mary throw marcus williams undercuts misses the tackle Diggs takes to the house i watched that play live in my dorm room at butler uh that one was absolutely insane not a, not as good of a story tied to it but watching that because i remember i was playing video games my buddy my roommate shay obviously we're doing we were roommates in college uh he's watching the game and i'm in the middle of a you know i'm gaming get to a break kind of where i could stand up and kind of stretch my legs and i look over and i'm like damn the saints are i was like the saints are going to the nfc title game and you know he dropped you know case keenum of all guys drops back digs sideline touchdown and that's probably the loudest crowd reaction i think i may have ever heard when it comes to football holy cow that stadium was rocking in minnesota that night uh that one's definitely up there and i think another one probably the mile high miracle in 2012 Joe Flacco leading Baltimore into Denver in the AFC divisional round of the playoffs, two overtime win. I know a lot of Broncos fans are pained by that. I didn't get to watch that game live. That's the story on that one and why it doesn't stick in my head. If I got to watch that game live, 100%, that's at the top of my list. I remember going into that divisional game. We're on the road. We just won the wild card the week before. And I'm like, it's going to be a tough road. Like, I, we got to go into Denver and beat Panning Manning. It's on a Sunday night. It's the late night game. I'm like, I've got school Monday morning. I've got, you know, Algebra 2 or whatever it was. I got a math class to start the day. I was like, I got to go to bed, man. As much as, like, I watched the first half and I was like, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. So I was like, I'm going to go to bed. Wake up the next day and I'm like, holy shit, we won. And I was like, holy shit, it went to double overtime. Like, yeah, it's it's just watching the, and then watching the replays, you know, Jacoby Jones over the top, Torrey Smith over the top. I'm like, good Lord, I am not going to shut up today. (laughs) If you are a Denver Broncos fan, stay out of my way because I am going to be on another planet. 
And I talked about it on our top 10 safeties list. I have a lot of love for Joe Flacco. People ask me if he's elite. When it comes to the 2012 playoff run, that, that Super Bowl run, they win the wild card. They go into Denver. They beat Peyton Manning. They went into Foxborough, and they beat Tom Brady, and then they went to the Super Bowl, beat Colin Kaepernick and the 49ers. That Joe Flacco was elite. 11 touchdowns, no picks. It's arguably, if not the greatest postseason by any quarterback in NFL history. That Joe Flacco was elite. He was Super Bowl MVP, and nobody deserved it otherwise. Joe Flacco was that fucking guy in 2012. Now, the year after, once he secured the contract, maybe not as much, but we couldn't really field a team after you make Joe Flacco the highest-paid quarterback in NFL history at the time. So those are my top three moments. Another thing, quickly, before we get into the list, a lot of people are curious how I felt about Cam Newton uh, being cut from the Patriots. First of all, I think everybody needs to stop overreacting. I think there's a solid, solid chance that Bill Belichick and Cam Newton had a talk in the offseason. And, you know, Cam said, I want to be a starter and I don't want to be here if I'm not a backup, you know, or if I am a backup. So when Mac Jones secured the spot, it was obvious that Cam was going to get cut just because he feels like he should be a starter somewhere else. That is a solid possibility. I'm not saying it happened, but you can't jump to all these conclusions about why the Patriots cut him or they should have kept him as a backup, da 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 Cam Newton also, not as much attention, not as much media attention, but a decent amount. As much like, it's the same thing why Colin Kaepernick will never be a backup and why he'll never touch an NFL field again. Because Colin Kaepernick, the only reason that you would bring either of those quarterbacks into the into your team is if you think they can bring you to a Super Bowl. Because if you think they can take you to a Super Bowl, then those two guys are guys that you want on your team. The Denver Broncos would look at both of them immediately. Teams that have rosters but have holes at quarterbacks would look at those guys immediately. Obviously, nobody in the league thinks that those two guys, rightly so, thinks those two guys could lead them to a, to a title spot. Now, the other option is they become a backup. For Colin Kaepernick, no one is going to bring a guy in to be a backup quarterback that brings that much attention, whether it's positive or negative in your opinion. I think it's positive attention from the media. A lot of people think it's negative attention from the media. Regardless, it's a lot of attention to bring into your quarterback room away from your starter, which a lot of teams would go for a guy that is a rookie. It's like the Jets maybe, you know. You don't want to bring a guy that's going to hold that much media attention into your quarterback room. And also, it's just you don't need your backup QB making that much noise when it comes to the media. And as far as Cam Newton goes, there's no reason for any team to go after him at this point because he said in the offseason there's not 32 quarterbacks better than I am in the league. And I would agree with you. There's probably not 32 quarterbacks in the NFL that are better than Cam Newton. But what I can tell you is there's probably 15 to 20 that are better than Cam Newton, and there's another you know 10 to 15 that may not be better than Cam Newton but have the potential to be better than Cam Newton because they're still under the age of you know 25 or 26. Because when I look at, like, obviously there's 15 to 16 guys that are much better than Cam Newton. is guys like Lamar Jackson you know, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, and then you have guys that are worse than him, guys like Big Ben, but the Steelers aren't going to uproot their long-seated starter, the best quarterback they've had in their franchise's history for a guy that's going to come in and play just a tad bit better and still not get them over the hump to a Super Bowl. And you're not going to see him come over and start over a guy like even Tua Tungavailoa or maybe even come in and start over Sam Darnold because, like I said, Sam Darnold's probably not better than Cam Newton is right now, but he still has a lot of potential. I know what I'm getting with Cam Newton, and it's not a Super Bowl, so there's no reason for me to have him on my roster. So I don't have any issues with the Patriots cutting him. Like I said, you know, you know, they're committing to Mac Jones being the starter, and everybody says they're doubling down, but what if Mac's not good? They're going to regret cutting Cam. It's, it's a confidence move, and like I said, I think that's almost more of a slap in the face to Cam Newton at that point, to get eight games in and for Bill Belichick to be like, you know what, we were wrong. I want you to be the starter anyways. That's even worse than you know just not starting right out the gate. You're like, oh, now you want me to come in when you're you know two and five, two and six, and now I have to try to turn this locker room around and win, man. That's horrible. So I don't think it was a bad move to cut him. I feel bad for him. I think there were a lot more talks than people are giving them credit for. I don't think they were just like, well, Max is starter, cut his ass, get him out of town. I don't think that's how it happened. I don't think it had anything to do with the COVID situation. The thing with the Patriots is like, Tom Brady, I, I have to word this carefully because I don't want to be wrong. I do have a couple of Patriots fans to listen to the show that will crucify me if I if I misspeak here. Tom Brady didn't have to do it all when 
to, to win a Super Bowl in New England, if that makes sense. Like when it came to playing the quarterback position, like he didn't have to drop back, roll out, and gun it 70 yards down the field, you know, five to 10 times a game. Tom Brady did the little things. Pre snap, did the little things, did the little things in the play, kept a clean pocket, had great pocket presence, dumped it off to the open man, and let that guy make a play. That's how Tom Brady plays football, and it works extremely well. You know, he just cuts down on your errors. You don't need to play hero ball, and that's what Tom Brady did best. He played hero ball, but not physically. He did it mentally. And so they don't, that's what Mac Jones does. He's not going to be a guy that goes out there and you're like, holy cow, this kid's so athletic. Look at, you know, look at him evade three defenders and then get hit as he uncorks an 80 yard bomb down the field. It's not a Mac Jones play. It's not a Tom Brady play either. It might be a Cam Newton play, but the Patriots don't feel like they need that to win. And I would kind of agree with that in the long run. So that's kind of my take on Cam Newton. Those are our three fan questions. Now let's get into our top 10 edge rushers. Um, with our top 10, obviously a couple honorable mentions along the way. Um, two guys I want to talk about real quick. Brandon Graham of the Philadelphia Eagles and Daniil Hunter of the Minnesota Vikings. Two guys that are very, very talented and are very, very good in their own right. They just barely scrape outside of my top 10 list. There's a lot of t- there's a lot of talented edge rushers, first of all. The other thing is there's a lot of really good young, talented edge rushers. So like those young guys are going to hop the list a little bit. Because they're still physically entering their prime. Brandon Graham and Daniel Hunter are a little bit, you know, coming coming down on the backside, but are still very, very productive guys. They just don't make as much noise as they used to. Another two guys I want to talk about, maybe not scraping the top ten of the top fifteen of edge rushers, but a duo in Arizona now, Chandler Jones and JJ Watt, I think might be probably the best pass rushing pair going forward when it comes to coming off the edge. I think maybe Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox may be a better duo when it looks overall, but I'm talking about two guys coming off the edge together on the same team. Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt is it. I think if they can keep Chandler Jones and they don't trade him, he did request a trade in the offseason, I think that duo is very, very scary going forward. And I think it's it's something that when you look at in the long run, Arizona is is going to be dangerous on that defensive side of the ball. If they if they can get their corners to play up to a level, obviously they lose Patrick Peterson in the long run. That's going to hurt you a lot. Um, but Buda Baker in their secondary, they I think they drafted pretty well in the corner room uh, defensively. I think if they can get some pressure on the quarterback, it may relieve some stress off a depleted corner room in Arizona. Uh, so those are our four honorable mentions going forward. Into our top 10 list, the moment you guys have all been waiting for, we are going into the NFC North. Yeah, I lied to you. I I almost read number one off to you right away. Hopefully that doesn't give away who number one is. I think it's pretty obvious who number one is in the long run. Going into the AFC West, I believe, taking a trip to the Mile High State, taking a trip to the Mile High Stadium, uh, the Denver Broncos, Von Miller comes in at 10 on my list. This is a guy that definitely could be one on this list, honestly. Or it could be two on this list. I don't think anybody's touching the guy that's at one. Von Miller is extremely talented. He was at one point the best edge rusher in the game. He is the reason that the Broncos were able to knock off Cam Newton and the Panthers in the Super Bowl. And he is as dynamic as any edge rusher you could possibly find. When it comes to being a 3-4 edge rusher at that left outside linebacker spot, nobody's really done it better over the last 5-10 to 10 years than Von Miller. He is aging, coming off two catastrophic injuries that have taken him out of a majority of the last two seasons. So we're looking for an injury bounce back year. I think he may get held to a lower snap count throughout the year. That's why I kind of have him down on the list. I think his production will be down. But I'll tell you what. Now, if you're Patrick Mahomes, there's not a lot you have to worry about. Uh, you are the best quarterback in the game. You have the best tight end in the game or the second best. And you have a top five receiver in the game. Your offensive line's reloaded. Your defense isn't honestly isn't as half bad as people think it is. I have a top five, top ten receiving back in the league in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Life is good. But I'll tell you what, twice a year, once in Denver, once in Arrowhead, having to line up against Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb in the same game is going to suck regardless of the situation and regardless of who you have at left and right tackle uh, because Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb are going to give you that work. And I'll tell you what, if if I was Denver, those two games, I'm switching Vaughn Miller over to the right side of the field and I'm going around Orlando Brown every single chance I can get. 
I'm taking that speed, and I know I'm getting older and I may be coming off two injuries, but I'm taking Von Miller's speed, and I'm going right around, giving the loop-de-loop to Orlando Brown. said, all right, you want to be a left tackle in this league, you got to face the top edge rushers, and I want Von Miller to put Orlando Brown in a fucking blender for four quarters. I don't want anybody to get hurt. I don't want anybody to, you know, obtain any injuries along the way, but I want to see Orlando Brown get worked a couple times. And I think when it comes to guys that use speed off the edge, he's definitely going to get hurt in the long run. So, or not get not get hurt as in get injured, but his his film will get hurt. He won't look as good, if that makes sense. Number nine on my list, another guy that is very, very consistent over the years and has been a top edge rusher for a very long time. A guy that just does it well in all facets of the game and is probably one of the most reliable guys on this list. Uh, Cameron Jordan of the New Orleans Saints. Uh, shout out Taylor. Obviously, Saints. Big Saints guy. Um, Cam Jordan just does it all, man. I just Dependable is definitely the word that I would use for Cameron Jordan. Doesn't usually miss a lot of games. Does it well in the run game. Gets after the quarterback very well. And I think iron sharpens iron at practice. I think is there was a reason Cam Jordan hasn't lost his edge over the years. Because he knows if he flips, whether he's at left side or right side of the line, he's pairing off against probably the best tackle duo in the league in Teron Armstead and Ryan Ramzik. I think that does help a lot with his success, or at least the non-decline of his play over the years. Is every single day of the week, he's you know those one-on-one drills. He there's no days off. <laughs> he's not facing no seventy-four overall in Madden. Well, he's got two ninety overalls and a ninety-five overall at left tackle on Teron Armstead as well. Like he's going to work at practice every day, and I think that's helped their other young edge rushers develop over the time. They're still kind of waiting for Marcus Davenport to kind of take the step forward, but. I think uh, they're going to get there eventually, and I think Cam Jordan is going to be a big, big part of their edge rushers developing in the long run as well. Um, number seven, this kind of starts your your run of young guys. Shaquille Barrett, the 28-year-old edge rusher from Tampa Bay, take a huge step forward this last year, and it was a, is a huge instrumental part of them winning the Super Bowl. Obviously, with the Chiefs banged up O-line, their pass rush, the, the Buccaneers' pass rush was a big, if not the biggest reason of why they were able to knock the Chiefs off their rhythm and win that game by such a large margin. Um, Shaquille Barrett and Ndamukong Sue uh, were instrumental in their edge rush, and obviously having Devin White and Levante David over the middle never hurts. Um, Shaquille Barrett is is one for the ages, I think. is I, I don't know, honestly, like how else to put it. He just, he just gets after the quarterback, man. It's just... One of those guys that you do not want to have to line up against week in, week out, or or even you just snap in, snap out, honestly. Like um when he was originally in Denver, he graded above a seventy four or higher in his first four years, but was kind of just limited in his role, obviously having Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb coming into the fold at that time frame. kind of hurts your snap counts, but he recorded 157 total pressures in 2019, which was more than any other edge defender in the NFL, and he got paid this offseason. Definitely deserving of it, and what can I say? Like He's he's the epitome of, I may not hit you, I may not sack you, but you're going to feel me. (laughs) I'm going to be there. Number 58 in red is going to be in your grill. Probably a solid 40% of the time you drop back. You better you better watch out and step up in the pocket because I'm coming for that football. Right-handed quarterbacks beware because you you know you sling that ball backwards, I may be able to grab your wrist on the way forward and force that ball out. Uh, so Shaquille Barrett uh, sits at my seventh spot on my list. Another young guy coming here at six. Uh, kind of your trio of Buckeyes here starts up. Uh, Chase Young of the Washington football team. He is the most talented guy on that Washington defense, I would say. They spent a number one overall pick on him for a reason. And obviously having Jonathan Allen, who's one of the better uh, interior pass rushers in the game on your defensive line, never hurts. Uh, being paired next to another guy that really bends the edge with a lot of speed and uh, with Montez Sweat on the other side never hurts. And obviously having Matthew Ioannidis and De'Aaron Payne also playing DT. Like, they are five deep. They're three deep at DT. And they're they have probably two of the fastest, if not the two fastest, speed rushers off the edge as well. And Chase Young is the kingpin of the group. You know, like this is he is as good as advertised. He bends the edge with extreme efficiency. He gets after the quarterback, and is another guy that I just don't want to have to line up against. Um, 
the the thing that honestly is so scary about Chase Young is that I you know you watch him in year one, and I you know watching his games, obviously watching on Thanksgiving and and watching throughout the year, watching him progress. There is still obvious room for improvement. It is your rookie year. You're not gonna do. Um, you're not gonna be the best edge rusher in the league in your rookie year. That usually doesn't happen. Um, came out with an 87 overall grade as a rookie, which was fifth amongst NFL qualifying edge rushers. So in his rookie year, he was the fifth best pro football focus graded. And the the thing the where he really shined at, and to me, it's probably the most important thing you can do as a defend as a defender is when offenses enter the red zone, you've got to kick it up like. We've led them all the way down the field, whether it was off a turnover and they started here, or whether they drove 50 yards down the field to get inside our 20-yard line. you got to buck up here and hold them to three points. I cannot let these guys in the end zone. When NFL offensive entered the red zone against the Washington football team, Chase Young graded out at a 93.5 pro football focus grade when in the red zone, which led all players at the edge rushing position as a rookie. So when his back's against the wall, he starts clawing, he starts scratching, and he makes things happen on the defensive side of the ball. So before we move into our top five, another quick little story for you guys. Um, obviously, uh, COVID has affected us all heavily um, in the last you know year. I think one thing I miss the most really is you know being able to go out to movie theaters or restaurants with my family and out with friends. You know, who doesn't love a good Buffalo Wild Wings on a on a Friday night, you know, watching the NFL draft there or or watching a big game out, you know, or just being able to go out to the movies, you know, just being able to go see Avengers Infinity War or Endgame or anything like that. So uh, I think, you know, the most important thing for us to get back to normal, man, vaccination is the most effective way to help prevent COVID-19 and to get back to those good times of going out with your friends, whether it's out to eat, out to drink, you know, or out to the movies or anything like that, man. So um, find out where to get your COVID-19 vaccination near you at vaccines.gov. And, you know, let's just let's just try to get back to normal as best we can. So that's my little two cents, my little my little quick PSA. Uh, we'll get back into it. So before we go into our top five, a quick recap on our, our five, our 10 to five so far. Uh, Von Miller at 10, Cameron Jordan, Demarcus Lawrence at 9 and 8, respectively. Shaquille Barrett at 7, and Chase Young at 6. Into our top five, the second of our three Buckeye stretch here. I have the older Bosa brother, Joey Bosa of the, I almost said San Diego again. I did this on the safeties one, of the Los Angeles Chargers, uh, Joey Bosa. It did not take him that long to establish himself as one of the league's top pass rushers. Um he notched 59 pressures in his rookie year in 2016. Um, and he is currently actually the only active edge rusher with a pass rush win rate higher than 20% since 2016, sitting at a 22% since his rookie year. Um, the only thing that's stopping Joey Bosa right now from going higher on this list is simply health. Um, he has been banged up here and there. He hasn't missed a, a majority of games throughout any years, but he's missed you know, two to four each year has been a big thing. So hopefully the older Bosa brother can stay on the field. And that's another guy. You look at the AFC West, man, talking about Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb. I do not want to have to match up against Joey Bosa twice a year either. Um, obviously they lose Melvin Ingram. So that that's another thing that kind of holds Joey Bosa back. And the reason he's not at four on this list or why he's not, yeah, why he's not at four and he dropped to five is I think losing Melvin Ingram is going to hurt him in the long run as well. Uh, it was a lot easier for him uh, to not be keyed in on as much. Obviously, you know, when you're a top 10 edge rusher, having a top 15 guy across the way helps you a lot along the way. Uh, defense or offensive lines can't hone in on you as well, and it allows you to kind of get a lot more one on one matchups. So I think he may struggle a little bit this year, not having as good of a of a secondary pass rusher next to him. But Joey Bosa is Joey Bosa. Uh, there's a reason he went to Ohio State. There's a reason he was as highly touted of a prospect going into Ohio State and coming out of Ohio State. I think he will continue to produce, and there's a reason why he sits at five on my edge rushers list going into this year. Uh, number four on our list. The third Bosa, or the third Bosa, the third Buckeye in this Buckeye stretch here, the younger Bosa brother, Nick Bosa, out in San Francisco. 
Um, Nick Bosa came in and set the league on fire in his rookie year. He was the first Ohio State edge rusher to go number one overall uh, the year before Chase Young. And he was absolutely dynamite in his rookie year. It was a big part of the reason of why uh, the Niners were able to make that Super Bowl run his rookie year. Um, obviously, unfortunately, he wasn't able to to tack on to that this last year as he tore his ACL in week two. But I think this list is as good of a place to remind everyone how good this guy was, man. Uh, he had 80 pressures in his rookie year, uh, which were 10 more closer – or. He, he had 10 more than the next closest rookie in, in 2019. And he's just, he just gets it done, man. He is a, a, I don't even know what I want to say. Like he's a production, he's a like productionist, I guess, like a perfectionist, but he just gets it done, man. He just produces pressures. He produces quarterback hits. He produces sacks. And honestly, with an extra game this year, and hopefully praying to God that he stays healthy all year. This is a guy that I really do think has a potential to possibly edge towards that, that 17, 18 sack mark. I think they have the defensive line and the scheme out in San Francisco to where he won't be singled out as much as he should be. And I think with Javon Kinlaw coming up, Arik Armstead is still there. Obviously you have, um, Frank Clark? They still Frank? Is it? No, it's not Frank Clark. D Ford. D Ford. I always get them mixed up. They have a solid edge rush rotation. They have a solid just pass rushing rotation. Obviously, Ken Lawn or Armstead get flexed into the middle of that four three a lot, but I think um, I, I really do think Bosa could edge towards the eighteen to nineteen mark. I don't want to say twenty. I don't even want to say eighteen. Honestly, I'm thinking fifteen to seventeen sacks this year for Nick Bosa is is where I'm seeing. Honestly, that's the ceiling. I think he could hit. Um, but with an extra game, man, I'm excited to see what these edge rushers can do. There's a lot of talented guys that could honestly really chart towards that that record-breaking 20 mark. Um, so I'm excited to see what he does returning from that ACL tear on that San Francisco line this year. Um, number three on my list is going to be Miles Garrett of the Cleveland Browns. Excuse me, I got to take a little take a little sip of sip of my beverage. My voice is getting a little dry here. All right, back from the beverage break. Number f- number three on my list, excuse me, is going to be Miles Garrett of the Cleveland Browns. Before I dive into Miles Garrett, real quick, uh, there's one other guy I want to talk about. Not really a uh, honorable mention per se, because he did have a really, really, really bad year in Tennessee. Uh, I want to talk about his newly found teammate Jadavian Clowney, who came in on a free agent deal from Tennessee. Uh, Jadavion was taken, I believe, number one overall to the Houston Texans a couple years back, 2015, something like that. Um, was was pretty productive. wasn't as good as a, as you should be as a number one overall pick, but paired with JJ Watt, he was very very good and was one of the best secondary edge rushers in the game. If that makes sense, like when I look at a guy that's not the top edge rushing option on his team, he was probably one of the best guys in the league at that. Uh, went to Tennessee, didn't have the guy in front of him, and was lost. Did not record a single sack all year last year in Tennessee, and they just they didn't have a guy that drew away blocks. He he was forced to eat up a lot of the double teams, and he could not fight through them. There's a lot of the guys that end up on this list. A reason why your Chase Young, your Nick and Joey Bosa, your Miles Garrett, and the two guys that are above them is because no matter in Aaron Donald as well in D tackle list, if I get double teamed, it doesn't matter. I'm still gonna force a pressure every once in a while. Like every ten to twenty percent of the time, even with a double team, I'm going to get through the line and and put a pressure on the quarterback. And Jadavion was not able to do that in Tennessee. Now Putting him into Cleveland, he becomes the secondary edge rusher again behind Miles Garrett. And Miles Garrett being three on my list, and a lot of people would argue to put him at two as well. Miles Garrett is is extremely good. Um, you can find him at the top of just about every pass rush grade list or pass rush stat category since entering the league in 2017. Um, he ranks in the 98th percentile in pass rushing grade, pass rushing grade, and on true pass sets and pass rush grade without play action. Um, he is probably the best athlete on this list. When you're talking about looking at the guy's frame, looking at the body fat percentage, looking at what he can do athletically, 
You know, if I were to take the pads away, you know, take the pass rush, who's the best athlete? Miles Garrett is a freak of nature. I am convinced he was made in a lab. They brought LeBron James in. They took some of his DNA. They brought in Bo Jackson, took some of his DNA. They stuck him in the 6'6 frame. They, they, you know, incubated him for nine months in a Gatorade facility. And out come Miles Garrett. He is an absolute freak of nature. And he is a big, big reason why I believe the Cleveland Browns do have a legitimate shot at winning the AFC North this year over my Baltimore Ravens. And as much like when Clowney first signed, I was like, I'm not fucking worried. He had zero sacks in Tennessee. He was overrated in Houston. He's a bum. I'm not worried about it. Now, the the fan in me left and the analysis came out and I was like, man, he was behind J.J. Watt and he was pretty damn good. Uh, he seems to be another guy that can't produce when he's the best edge rusher on his team, but when paired with another top guy, he can do a lot of damage. So it will yet to be seen whether Jadavion Clowney could be the two in the Miles Garrett one-two punch in Cleveland, but I think things are definitely looking up, and I, there's nowhere to look but up when it comes to Miles Garrett at the three spot on this list. Number two, another guy in the AFC North, another guy that I dread facing twice a year when I'm the Ravens fan and when I'm Lamar Jackson or anybody in the Ravens organization, another guy that I do not want to face. We just talked about J.J. Watt and and how good he was in Houston. Man, his brother T.J. has been just about as good uh, when it comes to getting to the quarterback off the edge. Um, when, when you look at just pass rushing production, taking out what he does in coverage, taking out what he does in the run game, it's difficult to top what he's been able to do in his first two years in Pittsburgh. He leads all edge defenders in sacks with 29.5 and, and quarterback hits since entering the league. Uh, he's had 46 hits um, since entering the league in 2019, and he falls just short of Shaquille Barrett in total pressures. So that should show you. I mean, since entering the league in 2019, he's at the top of those two very important stats, and he is second to Shaquille Barrett in in total pressures. And and that's just what he does when it comes to getting after the quarterback. This is just what he does as an edge rusher. He's extremely good in coverage as well, and he stops the run well as well. Like, T.J. Watt does it all. There's a reason he charts this high on this list because he is that good of a pass rusher. And if I drop him back into zone coverage, honestly, I'm feeling pretty okay. Like, I can live with T.J. Watt dropping back into his zone 10 to 15 times a game. Like, I'm living with that in the long run. He has had a couple career interceptions, and he has had a couple career pass breakups along the way. Um, He's graded out to a total of 91 overall uh, pro football focus grade. Since 2019, uh, 91.3 in his first year and 91.6 this last year. And he was definitely a defensive year uh, player of the year candidate last year. A lot of people think he should have won it over Aaron Donald. The The way that I can relate this to a lot of people is Aaron Donald or TJ Watt probably did have a better 2020 than Aaron Donald did. But you also, like I said, you have to look at who's getting double teamed more, who's getting triple teamed every once in a while. And how often is that happening? And your percentage to get through double team blocks as well as getting off a one-on-one block on the edge or on the interior. And while TJ Watt may have had better stats, he was double teamed less and he had a worse percentage when he was double teamed. So the way that I look at it is like Aaron Donald is like the LeBron James of this category and TJ Watt would be your Giannis Antetokounmpo, your Kevin Durant, your Stephen Curry in 2016, your James Harden is like TJ Watt probably had a better year and may have deserved the award, but we all know who the kingpin and who sits on the top of the pile when it comes to getting after the quarterback in the long run. And that's arguably the best defensive tackle of all time in Aaron Donald. So... T.J. Watt may have gotten snubbed, but it really wasn't that much of a snub when you look at who ended up walking home with the award in the long run. Um, Number one on this list should come as no surprise to anybody. Um, Khalil Mack of the Chicago Bears, worth every pick that that, uh, Chicago gave up to bring him in uh, two years ago. And he may fall outside of the top ten sack leaders over the last two years when it comes to to edge rushers, but is no bearing on how dominant he's been on the edge. Um, his his war, his win over replacements um, for PFF's grade uh, is pegged him as the league's most valuable edge rusher in 2020, and that dominance extends all the way back to his rookie season in 2014. Um, the thing about Khalil Mack is the versatility. 
is and I talked about TJ Watt's versatility and his ability to get after the quarterback, his ability to stop the run very well, and his ability to draw back into zone coverage and play coverage very well. When it comes to versatility of Khalil Mack, the, the versatility comes from where you can put him on the field. Is the first guy to ever win all pro at defensive end and outside linebacker in the exact same season. I'm talking about a guy that went all pro at two positions in the same year. And it's not wide receiver and kicker turner, which are two very, very different positions that happen at very different times during a game. This is defensive end and outside linebacker. These are two guys that are on the field at the exact same time. I can run a 4-3 and stick his hand in the dirt. I can run a 3-4 and have him stand up. Hell, I can even go 4-3 and stand him up still and be successful. I can drop into a 3-4 and put his hand in the dirt. This guy does it all. He can put his hand in the dirt in any set. He can stand up in any set. He is probably the strongest guy on this list. We saw him hip toss Tristan Wirfs with about half of his arm last year in a game against the Buccaneers. And Tristan Wirfs is no small tackle. He may be a rookie, but he's 310, 320 pounds. He's no small kid. And and Khalil Mack tossed him with ease. Just one simple lock of the hips and one flex of the arm over the top, and Tristan Wirfs was on his back. And it was it was that simple. It was elementary when it came to doing that for Khalil Mack. Um, he has been the best edge rusher in the game. Even when Von Miller was healthy two to three years ago, I'd still put him at two behind Khalil Mack just because of what you can get with Khalil Mack. I can do literally anything. When it comes to him getting after the quarterback, I can put him at any advantage or disadvantage, and I know he's still going to come out on top a solid percent of the time. He is... I don't think there's any better way and there's no bigger accolade that you can stick on what Khalil Mack is able to do other than he went all pro at two different defensive positions at defensive end and outside linebacker in the same exact season. So uber talented, uber athletic, absolute freaking nature in the weight room, freaking nature anywhere you want to put him. Khalil Mack falls at one on our edge rushers list. So to recap, before we get out of here, our four honorable mentions, obviously the duo of Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt in Arizona, Brandon Graham in Philadelphia, and Daniil Hunter in Minnesota are our four honorable mentions. Our top ten list rounds out with Vaughn Miller at ten, Cameron Jordan at nine, Demarcus Lawrence at eight, Shaquille Barrett at seven, Chase Young and Joey Bosa at six and five, respectively, Nick Bosa at four, Miles Garrett at three, T.J. Watt at two, and the Kingpin crown when it comes to edge rushers goes to Khalil Mack of the Chicago Bears so that's going to do it for our top 10 edge rushers make sure y'all keep it tuned we got one more left our top 10 linebacker list will be coming out very shortly as well uh gonna have some more fan questions on the front of that and man I don't know what else to say man keep your eyes peeled keep your ears open season two is on the way at time of recording this we're just over a week out um from getting into season two on Friday and I could not be more excited. All three of our individual shows would de- debut the week after. Um, so so season two starts on Friday, that week after. I believe it's Sam's going to be on Tuesday. I'm going to be on Wednesday. I don't think Shay's nailed down whether he's going to be on Monday or Thursday yet. But we will all be in the week. And we will all be dropping weekly stuff for you, whether it's an album review, whether it's a, a sit-down interview um with a female whether it's talking sports by myself or whether i lock down a co-host for the own show we're gonna be there man and and like i said bdl season two different format a little bit of a different discussion gonna be happening so make sure y'all tune in man it's gonna be i'm really excited for what we're doing it's only gonna go up from here sponsorships obviously you see sponsorships are starting to trickle in we're gonna get some more money in just leads to better equipment merch will be happening during season two i can promise you that I'm not exactly sure at what point or at what capacity, but I can promise that BDL merch will happen before the end of season two. So y'all keep it locked, keep it real, stay breezy, and I'll see y'all next time.